Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. When we start thinking about origin stories, one of the reasons that we decided to kind of focus on this for the month of July is that there are lots of conversations that happen in the schools and in colleges, in our workplace, in our community, in politics about the origin of the world and about how we understand that as Christians. And there are many different theories. We're going to cover four of them throughout this month. And today we're going to begin with creationism. And I was fortunate enough on Wednesday to do a Zoom meeting with some of our youth and talk about this very same text. And one of the great things about talking about the text is pointing out things that we might not have seen before or really heard because we didn't pay that close of attention to it. Or sometimes just hearing people recount what's important to them or what really stands out, what they're really hearing, and how important that is. So as we went through that journey with the youth, I was really excited to hear them engage with this aspect of our story. Now, in the Bible, there are two creation stories. I read you half of the first one, which is the orderly account of days where God creates, first creates light and dark, creates the day and the night, creates the dome, the sky, and starts to draw the seas together so that it creates dry land, and then starts to populate the earth with vegetation. And it's only after that that we start to get some of the really exciting pieces, putting the fish in the water, putting the birds in the air, putting all the animals and the creeping things, according to the Hebrew, on the earth, and then finally, the creation of humankind. And the second story starts in Genesis chapter 2, and there we have a different recounting. That story talks about God creating the first person as Adam and creating the land but needing Adam to till the soil or there wouldn't be any fruit or vegetation. And then, of course, we get the creation of Eve, and then there's all kinds of fun shenanigans that happen in the garden with the serpent. And so those are different stories. Now, sometimes people have tried to meld them together, but they are not the same story, and they don't even have the same source. The first story comes to us from the priestly tradition. That's an orderly account that shows specific theology, what we know about God, that God is intelligent and creates with wisdom, that God is purposeful and intentional, and God seems to be very thoughtful about how to go about creating. The second story is a little more whimsical. God's a little bit more anthropomorphic, a little bit more like us. In fact, in the first first story, God continually says, this is good. Look, this is good. It is good. I've now ordained it as good. This is great. And we keep going. Well, the first thing God says in the second story is it is not good that he should be alone. And so there are different aspects that are played there. The second story has a lot more drama. Uh, The first story ends with a great nap, a day of rest. So there are differences in the stories. One of the great things about our Bible is that if one story doesn't really resonate with you, if it's just not making you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, you have another option. And these stories are fantastic because these are the stories that people were telling to help explain their world. When the children would ask, where do we come from? They would tell stories like this, and they were telling different stories, but both of the stories include 
some crucial same characters, God and us. And so they help us to kind of order our world. They help us to make sense. And the theory of creationism is the idea that God created, that somehow, some way. And the truth is that creationism doesn't actually di dictate how it happened. There are Christians who are fundamentalists, which means that they believe that every word in the Bible is true as it is. You don't need to interpret it because you take it at face value. That is a newer understanding in the long history of Christianity. And for United Methodists, that's not our understanding. Now, there are certainly United Methodists that have that understanding, and that's okay. We make space for everyone to be here. But our official understanding of Scripture is that it is the inspired Word of God, that it's telling us something, that there's spiritual truth there, even if it's not literal objective truth and as we read these stories what really does is it tells us more about the people that were retelling the stories than even the story itself in fact you might be familiar with this how many times in your family or in your gathering of friends do you have people that are great storytellers in fact when you want to tell somebody new something that you all have done together you might even have a person that's your go-to you get to tell them the story because they're a dynamic storyteller. They make it fun and interesting. They don't get lost in details. They, they can keep the story flowing. They don't get down a rabbit hole or forget where they were going or get it wrong. And so there are really great storytellers, and we look for those factors and those characteristics in storytellers. And one of the things that you'll note in the Bible is that it doesn't fully encompass everything. There's only 66 books in the Bible. So it doesn't encompass everything that has ever happened. Even the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, don't fully encompass every single day and everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry. But instead, they are trying to speak to a specific audience or they're trying to convey something that is really important to the person. So when I tend to tell stories, I like to tell stories and focus on the redemptive piece. What have we learned? What did we gain? What was good that was accomplished? Or even if it was a horrible story, how can we take that and then help somebody else or not let that happen again? That's kind of my ethos for telling stories. That's how I do it. I have been fortunate enough throughout my life to sit at the feet of some excellent storytellers. One of them was a church member at my last church that I served for eight years. And Cambry was from Ireland, and she could tell stories like it was nobody's business. It also helped that she had an Irish accent that always makes your stories better. But Cambry was really good about telling stories and stopping and engaging people, whether they were the little children at children's time or whether she was talking to adults. She was really good at drawing you into the story so that you were invested. It wasn't just a tale of empirical data. Instead, she wanted you to feel like you were connected, that this story could actually be important to you too. And one of the things that we learn is that the more we listen to good storytellers, the better our stories get. We start to gain insight and knowledge, and we develop our own experiences and practices that help to make us better storytellers. There are plenty of people that never listen to stories. They don't ever engage with that, but God wanted us to be able to tell the story. That's why it's so important for us to have all of these stories, stories of the creation of the world, stories of the first people, stories of those people that began the faith that would be the religion of the ancient Israelites, and then Judaism, and finally Christianity. These stories are recorded in our scriptures, and we have to be able to tell them. 
And sometimes people get so dialed into telling the story, trying to be infallible in the telling of the story, that we lose the incredible gift of the storytelling. That's one of the tensions that you'll find in creationism. So in general, creationism actually means that you believe that a deity created the world. And one of the incredible things about that, like the picture that I showed to the children, is that all three of these faiths that were depicted in my picture, all three of them, Christianity, Hinduism, and Islam, have creation narratives. Now, clearly, there's much more uh, unity between Christianity and Islam's creation stories, but they start to diverge when you talk about the specificity of how did Christianity come into existence versus how did Islam come into existence. But even Hinduism, which is one of the oldest faiths in the world, it's over 10,000 years old, has origin stories. And there are other cultures that have wonderful stories. And the, the beauty of their stories is it's not about everybody had to believe it. The Aztecs, the Mayans, the Incans, there are Nordic creation stories, the native peoples in North, Central, and South America, you have creation stories. The great ones are from Polynesia. There's some fabulous creation stories there. There are incredible creation stories all over the world, different people in different cultures talking about their origins. And what it really does is it gives you insight into them and what's important to them. They might not literally believe they're true. And just because you don't necessarily ascribe to the validity of the story of how the Cherokee understand that the earth came into existence doesn't mean that you can't listen to their story and hear truth about them or truth about who they think they are called to be. And our stories, both of them in the Old Testament, point to who God is asking us to be. The first creation story says that people were created in pairs and that they were created in a multitude to fill the earth and that ultimately they were created in the image of God. And so it's speaking to us in saying that if we want to truly be who we were created to be, that all that we are, our words, our actions, our lives, need to reveal our God, our Creator. That what we do should give honor and glory to God. It should be consistent with what God has asked of us. And that's the story that we hear in the first creation story in the book of Genesis. The second creation story says that we were created to listen and to be in right relationship with God. It reveals to us that part of the tradition that the first people in that story, Adam and Eve, had was that in the evening time that they would actually walk with God that they would have this really close, unimpeded existence with God, and that there would be a sharing and a relationship there. And then they wanted to enact their will rather than listen to what God wanted. And that created brokenness, and it fractured that relationship, changed it for all time. And if we continue with their story, what we really find is that God has been spending countless generations trying to get us back to that place where we walk each day with our God, where we know God and God knows our face and we feel very connected and we feel that we are doing what God wants us to do, that our purpose is not just in what we do, but with whom and for whom we do it. And that's part of the beauty of the second story. Now, there are a branch of Christians, probably some in the United Methodist Church and a lot outside of the United Methodist Church, that are what we call young earth creationists. They believe that you can actually find all the facts of the earth in the Bible. Uh, the hard part about that is that you're taking what you're reading and you're coming through a translation. And so they believe that the earth is about 6,000 years old. 
Now, science and technology and all kinds of other industries have told us that the Earth is probably about 4.5 billion years old, give or take 50 million years. And when you look at the difference there, you'll notice that in, in political discourse especially, there's a lot of anger and tension and opposition between people who say 4.5 billion years and people who go, no, 6,000 years. And what ends up getting lost there is that we are arguing over how old the Earth is. And here's my takeaway from that. I don't think that it makes any difference. If the Earth is 4.5 billion years old, or 6,000 years old, does that change the fact that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for all people? Does it mean that God's grace is not available for us? Does it mean that only people who believe the earth are 6,000 years, or if the other people are right and it's 4.5 billion years old, does that mean that that's the quality by which Jesus Christ on the throne on the day of resurrection will decide if we get to enter into the kingdom to come? Blessedly, the Bible says no, that that's not what's really important. Sometimes we get so bogged down and just obsessed with being objectively right. We want to be declared right so that we can be the winner. And I think that's a natural inclination. I think that's something that human beings have, but we're called to temper that as Christians. As followers of Jesus Christ, it's not about being right. It's about being righteous. And our creation stories tell us something a little different than being empirically right. They tell us about a God that knows us, loves us, planned for us, that we are part of what God wills, not just for the world, but for us, that we were meant to be here. There are so many human beings in this world that question whether or not they should even be alive. They question what's the point of their life. Am I just here to suffer? Am I here to have some kind of greater cause, some bigger purpose? And both of our creation stories in the Bible say yes. That not only did God choose to create us, but God worked in the second story again and again and again to make sure that it could be good for us here. Those stories are undergirded by what we read in the New Testament, that Jesus came to heal us, to help us, and to give us what every human being needs, and that is hope. That's what the story in the Bible tells us whether it's one full story or whether you consider it to be two separate stories, our story is bigger. It's a bigger story. When we look at what the Bible is telling us, it's telling us time and time again that God has inspiration for you in this incredibly big and heavy book because there's gravitas to the word. It is hefty. It is important. And God gave us enough to keep us busy for quite a while in reading. But one of the things I've discovered is when I have the opportunity to read something other than scripture or doctrine or what the next steps will be about COVID-19, when I have the opportunity to read just for personal enjoyment and I read a piece of fiction or I read something that's very popular in storytelling, when I read it, I've discovered that probably in the last decade, there's been a flaw in a lot of modern writing. And that is people aren't really good at ending a story anymore. Maybe you've had that experience. That sometimes I will get drawn in right from the beginning. The, the, the opening is great. I'm invested. And I will read sometimes not just one book, but it'll be a series of books. And you'll read it. And then you get to the end and it's like, oh, that was such a downer. That was a real letdown. How can you have such a great opening and have a really engaging content all through and then just drop the ball at the end? How does that happen? 
And that's because a lot of times people don't think about what the end should be. One of the most beautiful things about our creation story as Christians is that from the beginning, God knew what our end was supposed to be. Our end is described in the book of Revelation. It tells us that in the end, we will be gathered together with our God. We will have an eternity with our God in a place where there is no mourning or crying or death or sin, that all of the evil will pass away and that we will be there for all time, gathered with others throughout time who have loved our God. And if that's our ending, that's a fabulous ending. And then when you look to see, well, what's coming in between? We have the beginning and we have the end. What's in between? Now, there's a lot of really juicy drama in between. But here's what's really glorious about our God, is that our God has included a huge chunk here that is not recorded in this book. It is being written by you and by me and by Christians all over the world. Our stories are part of the greater story. And when we're gathered at the feet of our God and enjoying an incredible bounty at the table that Christ has prepared for us, and we have the opportunity to have dinner conversation in the kingdom to come, we will have an opportunity to tell those stories. Because that's repeatedly what is spoken in the Gospels. Go and tell the story. That's what the angels said to the women when they came to the tomb. It's what Jesus said to Mary. Go and tell the other disciples. It's what Jesus said on the mountain before he ascended in the Gospel account of Matthew. Go and tell the nations. Tell them the story. And that's why our stories are so important. Tell them stories that have great beginnings. Tell them stories that keep them engaged all throughout. But tell them the glorious ending. That I am coming for you. That I am coming and I will bring you to myself to a place where there is a space specifically for you. And sometimes the tragedy of the bickering over creationism is that we get so tied up in how we began that we forget to tell the story now and we certainly don't tell people the ending. To me, the most incredible part is the ending. It is the most perfect ending I have ever heard. It has a conclusion. It leaves us with hope and great expectation and it keeps us coming back for more of the tale now. I want to know what's going to happen next because I can't wait to be there for that end. But oftentimes we allow our desire to be right and the willingness to engage and sometimes what's debate and sometimes what's frankly antagonistic arguing, we let that be the story we tell. And the glorious thing about the church, especially uh, my bias for the United Methodist Church, is that when you come into our space, whether it's for worship or fellowship or mission or ministry, we don't ask you, so how do you think the world began? That's not the rubric that we have. It's not part of the litmus test to see if you can come in and be a part of us. In fact, what is more telling is that when you show up in the United Methodist Church, our response is, you are a beloved child of God. You are of sacred worth, and we are blessed to have you with us. So let's come and write the next chapter of our story. That's the response that we have. So no matter how you understand the world beginning, whether you are totally dialed into the first story in Genesis or the second, or some of the other theories that we're going to cover in the next few weeks, the most important thing is who is with you now?
and God is with us. And God wants us to remember that it's not always the beginning. In fact, there are four different gospel accounts and four different accounts of the beginning of Jesus Christ. They don't even agree. Some of them have him showing up out of nowhere at the age of 30 and being baptized. Some of them have him being born in Bethlehem. Some of them have him being this entire story that affects the family with John the Baptist. And, and one says, he doesn't even have a beginning. He was the beginning. He was there before there was a beginning. And that's the glorious thing about the Bible. There is a place and a space for all of us. That's the story that we've forgotten to tell. That's the story that the Bible tells explicitly and implicitly. But sometimes we don't even make it past the first two chapters. Instead, Jesus is constantly reminding us some of the best part of the story of the Bible is what you are writing right now. You're writing it with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witnesses. You are telling the story by how you love other people or how you don't. You're telling the story by where you choose to invest your finances and your material wealth or where you don't. You tell the story by how you choose to be identified. If somebody said to you, who are you? Tell me your story. Do you lead with Jesus Christ? Or do you lead with some other aspect, some other designation that comes from society or culture? How do you choose to be identified as the author of part of the greatest story ever to be told? Because when all of the other stories go away, the story of Jesus Christ and our God incarnate is going to be the story that will last. Everything else will go away. But Christ is the foundation of the stories that will truly be the legacy and will last. And you are one of the authors. You might be one of the illustrators. And you might certainly be one of those that are helping to give a dramatic portrayal. So may God be at work through you, telling the story and letting your life become one of those incredible chapters that people will celebrate and will look and read and see that Christ was with you and within you. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.